everybody. Brian Decker here again with Dollars with Decker. Thank you so much for joining us right here on The Answer AM 590. This week, I will be going over a continuation of something super hot right now. It's all over the news. Obviously, what the heck is going on with cryptocurrency? What could possibly give it its value? And that's what we started in last week. People don't understand a lot of times that what could give crypto its value. They don't understand it. Is it a Ponzi scheme? You know, is it they somebody just is it worth as much as just a rock? Like what's its value? And so we focused in as kind of a summary for those of you guys tuning in this week is we focused on first understanding that not all cryptocurrencies are the same and that there's multiple categories of cryptocurrencies. Just like anything else, just like how there's multiple categories of websites on the internet. And if you think of cryptocurrency in the same way as that, some of them try to be a, a new version of the internet, a programmable type of money, just like how you can go on the web and not every website looks the same. You have obviously some that are travel sites, you have social media sites, you have banking sites, you have ones that are designed to store information, you have sites that don't really serve any purpose other than humor, you have all of those types of things. And the same is true in cryptocurrency. And in cryptocurrency, you really have multiple categories. And those categories are stores of value cryptocurrencies, smart contract cryptocurrencies, privacy cryptocurrencies, payment cryptocurrencies, exchange cryptocurrencies, and meme token cryptocurrencies. And so last week, we really focused on the first three of those, which is one, which is the store of value, which is what the very first cryptocurrency was, the, the market innovator, which was Bitcoin, which was rolled out in a white paper by Shatoshi, Na <clears throat> by Shatoshi Nakamoto back in, in 2009 when he wrote a white paper specifically saying it after the entire collapse of basically the great financial collapse, as we call it, that was brought on mainly by the U.S. and all the funny money mortgages and the real estate boom and all these types of things that led us into a very, very great housing recession. And in response to that, they realized when the government controls so many types of printing of money, we then realized that how is it humanly possible that in the government by which prints money can also be the individual that determines what you can buy with that money. Meaning saying, hey, you know what? I need to buy all this stuff. Why don't I just print a bunch of dollars and all these other countries are going to take it because back in the day, in the 1970s, when we went on the petrodollar standard pretty much, which is when in essence, if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's a really cool story. Basically, in a nutshell, the U.S., we went to the Middle East and we said, hey, Saudi Arabia, well, you guys have all this really cool oil. You know what? What if we promise that we're going to help you protect these oil pipelines and we're going to protect them? And guess what? For us protecting them, you got to make sure that everybody buys oil from you guys and they use U.S. dollars. And they said, you know what? That sounds like a pretty fair deal. You guys, U.S., have the greatest military in the world. Yeah, we'll do that. And so for the last 40, almost 50 years now, that's been the petrodollar standard. And that is why the U.S. or one of the reasons why the U.S. has been such a very dominant currency. Well, now fast forward to where we are today, and the U.S. is not the same superpower in terms of economic growth. China's taken it, and you obviously have some booming countries like India and booming in Russia. And now here we are where the U.S.'s response to things like COVID or the housing crisis is just print more money, print more money because nobody can do anything about it. We then 
come to the lie where now Bitcoin actually has some really people interested. They say, wait, let me get this thing. This is a store of value. So that means there is a fixed supply. There is the supply by which, which is released into the economy is done in a manner that is very fair, meaning anybody has the chance by mining Bitcoin or basically by solving these complex mathematical problems using computers. They can be rewarded by going ahead and verifying transactions that take place in the network. And by verifying those transactions, they are rewarded a certain amount of Bitcoin every at the end of every block, which usually is roughly every 10 minutes, which started out at 50 Bitcoin. And then after a certain period of block, certain number of blocks, which usually takes place every four years, it is automatically programmed on the blockchain technology that half the amount of Bitcoin is released. And that half amount of Bitcoin being released and the longer and longer that the blockchain is operating, the more and more difficult the mathematical problems become. So eight years solving these, verifying through what's called a proof of work system, verifying these transactions that are truly taking place across the blockchain, verifying these are now much, much more difficult, but yet you are paid significantly less Bitcoin to the miners for doing it automatically provides a very, very great deflationary asset. Why? Because guess what? You're doing a lot more work and you're getting paid a lot less Bitcoin to do that work. So by nature, the value of what you are being paid in will go up if it is a fixed supply. And so that decentralized network, which is now the most secure network in the world, basically has now become a store of value. That wasn't its original intent. It was more of a payment system, but it's become a store of value because of the fixed supply. And right now there's about 18.7 million Bitcoin currently out there. Now we know about 3 million Bitcoin were lost um, when it was started since it wasn't adopted as quickly. So you have a little over 15 million in supply and there's 21 million that will ever be released. Um, so we are still now, we had a halving last year and then the next halving will be approximately three years from now. So that's what a store of value is. And really Bitcoin and maybe Litecoin are really the only store of values, but Bitcoin is really the dominant one. Then we have smart contracts, which are basically programmable money. Something like Ethereum is very well known. It's probably the most common. And basically what this simply is, you know, as I went over last week, is basically an application that is basically put on a network and that application on that network runs completely decentralized. So think of it this way. Basically, what we can do is Ethereum is a network and that network or that protocol has transactions that go across it. And those transactions could be something as simple as this, which is known as a smart contract. I, Brian Decker, can say, hey, I am looking to lend somebody money. And if that person is willing to put up as collateral, one Bitcoin, I'm willing to give them immediately 70% of the value of Bitcoin. And I'm will and I'm willing to do this at 7% interest. And you have an individual on the other end of that that says, you know what, I would love to not have to sell my Bitcoin and I need some cash to put a down payment on my house or to whatever I need to do. That's awesome. And it's peer to peer. And what the great thing is, this person will go to a site called Ave in this case, A-A-V-E. They could go in and say, hey, I'm looking to borrow money and put up my collateral. It's a peer to peer lending. And through a smart contract, no middlemen are needed. I, Brian, say, hey, I will give this person $50,000 if they put up collateral of $75,000 worth. For an example, person comes in, they put their Bitcoin up through their wallet or Ethereum or whatever the cryptocurrency is, automatically deducts the money from my account, gives it to them, takes 
obviously collateral or security for whatever the collateral they have posted in and like call it an escrow account and it's done. And that's called basically a very simple smart contract, just a contract, but a smart contract means no middleman has to execute it. And so you think of it that way, what smart contracts plays, they can be used for a vast variety of things, everything from borrowing, gambling, lendings. What they basically done is imagine the banking world of the banks were removed and basically everything could be done peer to peer. Um, the value basically of these smart contracts is basically directly tied to the adoption of it because what happens is to operate on these types of network systems, you have to pay in that particular cryptocurrency to process that transaction. Meaning this, if on the Ethereum network, Aave wants to have these peer-to-peer lending transactions for me to go ahead and send my part of the smart contract fulfillment along the Ethereum network and the other individual on their end has to, wants to borrow that money basically using that transaction rather than a transaction fee that gets paid to a bank. For an example, that transaction fee gets paid in Ethereum and on that Ethereum network, the individuals that are verifying these transactions, AKA mining, get a certain percentage of that fee. And then the rest of that fee can go to something like the Ethereum foundation, a decentralized network. And obviously the more and more transactions that take place on this network, the more and more Ethereum that is needed to be purchased to be able to do that. And thus brings up the value of it. Think of it basically as you are able to buy a share of the internet. Imagine if every single time Amazon wanted to go ahead and have a visitor visit them on the web and they purchase something and that me clicking that buy it now button, which sent a message to Amazon that I wanted to buy something and then Amazon was going to ship it out. Imagine if Amazon had to pay to the owner of the internet in some currency, whatever we'll call it, the internet dollar, and they had to buy internet dollars and pay for their usage of the internet in this internet dollar. Well, guess what? That whoever owned the internet obviously would be making a lot of money. Now, that is exactly what Ethereum is, but the great part is nobody owns Ethereum. It is decentralized, and basically the individuals that have Ethereum tokens or buying Ethereum are in essence buying, for the best way I can explain, somewhat of a stock in Ethereum, and they are can be paid dividends through something called staking. I won't get too, too complex there, but that's basically what a smart contract play is. So for those of you guys that basically are, you know, just kind of tuning in, I'm kind of walking through, simply put, of an overall view of just kind of a summary of the different types of cryptocurrency and what brings them value, right? And that's really important to understand. Now, the third component that I touched briefly last week was Oracle Crypto. Basically, what this is is simply crypto projects that basically retrieve information from real world applications and bring it to these different projects. Basically meaning, hey, as I mentioned before, the weather. So let's say Facebook, for an example, wants to list what the weather is. They're going to have an API that goes out maybe to the weatherchannel.com. They retrieve the information and they host that. Well, what's happening is, is let's say for something like a on a smart contract where somebody wants to now instead of but that lending platform let's say you know i need to as the lender have to have certain information verified about me right let's say i got to make sure i really have that money in the bank or whatever that may be well that information needs to be recalled from somewhere you know and for an example the recalling of that information and delivering it to the blockchain that is being done through called what's called oracle cryptos and these are things like most commonly known as Chainlink, for an example and what you don't want to be doing is using centralized databases to 
call this information in because the point of the application, a point of crypto is to be decentralized. So what these oracles do is they gather data from a multitude of different sources. In this case, let's say they were trying to get the weather. They would gather it from 15 or 20 different weather sites, for an example, and they would do a blended average and deliver that information through a decentralized network to whatever was recalling that information. So it's very simple. Basically, all oracles are is they are getting real world data feeds and they're bringing it to the crypto world and they're doing it and making it decentralized. And these individual cryptocurrencies, for an example, that need this real world information have to buy that information and whatever that cryptocurrencies you know, token is, in this case, Chainlink. So for example, projects that need this information, they gotta buy Chainlink tokens and therefore they have to pay Chainlink fees or pay Chainlink tokens to obtain this information. And that's how they basically go ahead and do it. Now, the fourth type, and probably the one you guys are most familiar with or would be most interested in is what's called a payment type crypto. So one of the most amazing things in the world today, so my brother, my brother lives in Budapest, Hungary. For an example, and if I wanna give my brother for his birthday $1,000, okay? Now, I have a couple things that I can basically go ahead and do. Number one is, if my brother has Venmo, for an example, I can then move money from my bank account, move it into my Venmo account, Venmo to his account. He can then receive that Venmo, and then he can convert it and put it into his bank account, right? So, in essence, as long as we have the same Venmo, for an example, we can that could work or PayPal, or for example, if I wanted to send a larger amount of money, say $10,000, I'd have to go to my bank, wire from my bank Chase, they have to clear it through the Fed, then it has to go to his bank in Hungary, I get charged wire fees, he gets charged wire fees, there's foreign currency exchange fees, all of these things, and it takes very, very long time. Well, now, what basically crypto has been designed for in these payment types of crypto, for an example, is basically removing the bank, removing all of the middleman, removing all the time it takes days to settle, and basically go ahead and we can immediately use something, for example, things like Dash or Telcoin or Terra or Bitcoin Cash or even, you know, Lightning on the Bitcoin network. And imagine this, I can immediately, from any, any bank account I possibly have, I can immediately extract money from that bank account. I can immediately draw money from it, convert it immediately in the application, let's say to Bitcoin Cash or to Telcoin, immediately convert it to that, send it directly from my, let's say, wallet, my digital wallet. It'll hit my brother's digital wallet in 10 seconds. The transaction fee would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood on $10,000, probably in the neighborhood of 12 bucks to 15 bucks. My brother will receive it immediately, receive it to his phone, and then he can then choose to keep it in that cryptocurrency, or he can then convert it to whatever currency he wants, euros, dollars, whatever he wants, and immediately sit it then or have it go directly into his bank account. So what would take me wiring him money, potentially days to settle and several hundred dollars to do, this can be done immediately, quickly, without any middleman or any permissions needed. Now, they need to know my information so there's not this like world of drug use that people think, no, guess what? Like all of my information, my identity, my driver's license, all the proof that I have to say who I am when I open this account is verified. And same with my brother on his end. So it's it's very, very secure in that regards. And that quick payment to payment system 
is unbelievable. I mean, just think about it. So right now I can't send Venmo from my Venmo account to my brother's PayPal account. No, I can only go Venmo to Venmo. Or let's say if I want to send it from my Chase Quick Pay to his Chase Quick Pay, well, that could work. But what happens if I want to take money out of my Chase account and my brother wants to get money into his Bank, Bank of America account, right? I got to wire it. Now imagine this. I can have every single bank account instantly connected to one single application on my phone. I click a button, it immediately pulls the money directly within seconds from my bank account, converts it into the cryptocurrency of my choice that I want to purchase, let's say in this case, Telcoin, and immediately sends it to my brother. My brother receives it. We pay a couple dollars for that transaction. My brother can keep it into a Telcoin or he can convert it to his currency and it's in his bank account nearly immediately, or he can then even use to pay for it because there was tons and tons and tons and tons of marketplaces now that you can pay to use cryptocurrency. I know PayPal has hundreds of thousands of merchants already. So now from that standpoint, the la or there's two really, you know, two really last ones I want to focus on. One is privacy crypto. And this is the one that kind of gets the most heat. So what privacy crypto is, is you can purchase crypto. The most famous is Monero. And what it basically is, is there is no way for people to know who that address or that crypto belongs to. So one of the things you can think about is, is this, and this is why I love crypto. So if somebody knows my public address, okay, for my crypto wallet, they can see exactly how many Bitcoin, how many Ethereum, how many, whatever I have in my, my public address of my wallet, right? It's an open ledger. You can't have access to it. You can't do anything other than see what I have in there, right? Which it's fine. Like a MetaMask, I don't care. You know, I mean, it doesn't make a difference to me, but some individuals, it's not super hard. It's not like it says Brian Decker on it, but you can, you can figure it out you know, pretty easily because all the stuff in the U S like Binance, U S Coinbase pro Binance, they have to verify who you are that owns that. So very, very easily and quickly, you can pretty much verify, you know, who owns that individual wallet because a centralized exchange obviously has that information and owns it. Now, for an example, if I want to say hide all of that, I can purchase cryptocurrency called Monero. And if you're really, you know, let's say you're a big corporation or you're extremely wealthy and you just don't want people to know you have no. So what you can do is you can then take your cash and you can convert it to Monero or, or Zcash or any of these things. And it is a completely private. You have no idea who owns that, who owned it before you. It is completely private. Now, the bad part about this, this sounds great, but the bad part about this is you can obviously see the real world identity has been obviously hidden. So governments and regulators obviously do not like this, which is why a lot of these privacy cryptos are not allowed to be on exchange. Many of them are not even allowed to be traded on those exchanges for the fear that they are used in criminal activity. And so that's what privacy crypto is. Now, what most people think is all crypto is privacy crypto, and that is absolutely not the case of it. Um, so as far as that understands. And basically, you can imagine that these privacy cryptos are heavily targeted by rev regulators um, on that regards. Now, the last, really the last one, but there's two, I'll, I'll mention the other one, is what's something called exchange tokens. And think of it this way. A exchange token is kind of like a membership in a company stock all in one. So let's say what you guys are all something familiar with is so there's right now there's something Binance. Binance is the largest crypto exchange in the world. What does that mean? Basically, it's TD Ameritrade or Fidelity stock trading or Robinhood, but for the world of crypto. And what happens is, is basically you can purchase with your US dollars or whatever you want, 
their token. So let's call it BNB or the Binance token. And by buying these tokens, you get a lot of really cool perks. Things like trading discounts. For example, your trading fees, if you pay with them rather than in USD, you pay with them in BNB, you get a 25% discount. Then also too, as the exchange becomes more and more popular and more and more people buy BNB to a pay for their trading fees on there, it obviously brings the value up just like a stock. And exchanges use the profits that they make, okay, to buy back these BNB tokens and burn them, decreasing the supply. So by burning them, it's very similar to a stock buyback. So just like Microsoft, they want the value of Microsoft stock to go up. All of you guys buy Microsoft stock because you like Microsoft products, you think they run a good company. And if Microsoft was required that based on a certain amount of profits they make, they had to use a percentage of those all the time to buy back stock, to buy back those stock, to pull them out of circulation, to therefore have less supply of open shares on the market. What does it do? It drives up the price. And so what these exchange tokens do are exactly that. KuCoin, um, on, which is the KuCoin exchange or Binance with the BNB token. And you can get very, very, very good returns on this. Um, and so you both, that is something that is very, very common. It's like I said, kind of a membership as well as a company stock all in one. Now, the one I don't really like to go over, but I'll give you because truly it's just a Ponzi scheme and it's the one that gives crypto a bad name or meme coins. Okay. Basically what a meme coin literally is designed to do is absolutely nothing. Okay. They are joke. And this is what Dogecoin was originally created as. Now, since then, it's obviously gained adoption. It's, it's just like anything else. Like the U.S. dollar is not backed by anything at all. It is backed simply by the trust of the fact that when I am here in the United States and I have a $10 bill, the person at the grocery store, when I hand them that $10 bill, they trust that that $10 bill is going to be a transfer to barter with me. I'm going to give them $10, which they're going to give me an item that is worth $10. They're going to take that $10. They're going to put it in their bank, which they then can you go to buy more stuff with it. And that's how money works. It's they're, they're, They can't go anywhere and exchange it for gold like anymore. It's not backed by that, right? Well, what happens is the trust by which people now have begun accepting Dogecoin, things like the San Jose Sharks or the Dallas Mavericks or all these different places around that have started accepting the Do a Dogecoin, it has now gained and become more than that, right? And it's just because people trust in it. But all these Shibu Inu coins and Shishu Inu and all these weird things, it is an absolute joke. To give you guys an idea and people just think, oh, it's so cheap, I'll just buy it. To give you an idea. Okay, Shibu Inu, for an example, has a 400 trillion cap of Shibu Inu. So think of it this way. If every single dollar in the world was used to buy Shibu Inu, every single dollar, okay, it still would not take Shibu Inu past a quarter, okay? Every single dollar in the world, that's how much the supply of Shibu Inu is. So you would need four times the amount of supply in the world of dollars, okay, to buy Shibu Inu and then you'll get it to $1. So do not buy things just because they're cheap. Buy and look at crypto, what has real world use case. So when I look at a crypto portfolio, the most important thing I choose when I'm looking at crypto is you've got to understand first 
what is the type of crypto you are looking at? Is this a store of value? Is this a smart contract play? Is this an Oracle play? Is this a payment? Is this a privacy coin? Is this a token that can be used on exchange? Okay. So you need to know of a type. And then from there, you need to know what is the real world use case? What and how and who will be using this? Okay. Bitcoin is a store of value. We just saw Okay, that MicroStrategies just yesterday announced that they will be raising, okay, to give you, this is crazy, they will be raising $400 million to buy more Bitcoin, okay? So they said, hey, we're going to come out, we're going we to raise $400 million, and guess what happened? Not only did they, in less than a day, have $400 million raised immediately by hedge funds and institutions, to buy Bitcoin, they got $1.6 billion in orders, four times the amount. That gives you an idea. So if you're one of those people that you don't think that crypto is ever going to make its way to mainstream, you got some news. El Salvador is now making it an actual legal tender, and they are the first of many countries in South America. So next week, I will be going in now that you guys can kind of get that basic idea and understanding of actually what gives crypto its value. I'm going to go over price predictions, how to weight your portfolio, how you can use it to create some wealth in your family. So tune in next week right here, 1230 Saturday with Dollars for Decker. And let me make you some money.